it was the right number. <laughs> You're on speech, guys. <clears throat> That'd be great if we didn't. That'd be even funnier. Hello? Yeah. Jen, it's Ross. Ross, what are you doing? And Mike. And Mike. And Mike, and, Mike. and Landon, and Matt. You're and live on the speech, guys. Oh, my goodness. Good evening. Well, James is going to be live here on the speech, guys, too, because we were just reading Welcome, a book. Welcome, James, our youngest. All right. Wow, youngest listener, youngest listener. <laughs> that would be him. Can you say hi, Jamesy? Hi. <laughs> I can't hey, James. No, you can't hang up. He's going to – no, he can't <laughs> hang up. <laughs> I know he wants to hang up and listen to a previous episode, but he does. He definitely does. No, honey, you can't hang up on them. You want to put it on your ear? Okay, say hi, Mike. Hi. That's right. Matt, Landon, and Uncle Ross. Hi, Landon. Hi. Hi, buddy. Hey, James. We were just reading a bedtime story. All right. Well, we'll we'll keep it quick for you then. So, okay. Our new intro method. We need you to introduce our episode. Oh my goodness. Okay. What am I introducing? What's the episode? Oh, just a few basics. Um, okay. Who's on the show tonight? Our episode number and the speech. I think that's it. Okay. Mike, what's okay. our episode number? And, and also, also, uh, give are. a shout out to your favorite speech guy. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. So you were chosen tonight, Jen, because tonight we were actually doing a speech from Armageddon. So oh, I, love that movie. I was telling the guys you used to be a, a big Bruce Willis fan. You might still be. Yeah. I don't know. So, yeah. Um, yeah, we thought we did. We'd invite you. So I don't know if you remember the movie super well, but um, there's a speech in it. The president, when the sp- president gives the speech right before they take off. Um, that's our speech tonight. Okay. Hey, Jen, Jen, do you have a favorite scene from Armageddon you can sort of uh, leave our audience with? Oh, favorite scene from Armageddon. Probably, I think, when Bruce Willis pushes Ben Affleck into oh, the castle or whatever it is. Harry, I love you! Trade places with him. Like, oh, my goodness. Like, so dramatic. <laughs> so awesome. I almost so, cried just watching the trailer so, part of that. Oh, right? dude, me too, yeah. for sure. It's awesome. It, great movie. Great movie. So I'll, I'll definitely have to listen to the episode. So what episode number are, is this? I don't know. Mike, what episode? 22, okay. 22, somewhere in there. 22-ish? Yeah, we'll say, let's go with 22. Let's go with 22. Okay, okay. All right, James. So we get to introduce this, okay? All right, so to all the listeners, please enjoy who? Say Landon, Matt. Mike and Ross, the speech guys, talking about the famous Armageddon president speech. Mm, nice. And oh, episode number 22. Mom, I can Do the music. Thank you, Jen. Thank you, guys. Have fun. When you see the road from every direction, it will give you eyes, give you perspective I've been back and forth and yeah I had my crashes now I've seen the road it goes every 
you guys have all we have all seen the movie. We're talking it up. Everybody has seen it, right? Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was. Uh. You know. It was definitely also a favorite of mine when when we were that age in the late nineties, anticipating the end of the world like any good millennial. <laughs> What? How did you guys feel about the end of the world? Like, were you guys sort of like Y two K sort of anxious? I think I took the opposite. My dad made fun of those people, so yeah, I just kind of <laughs> was like, oh, I guess it's stupid. <laughs> Something to make fun. Yeah, of. I, I was not worried about that at all. So when you put out your post that you were really worried about it, I was like, huh? Wow, that's total opposite here. Man, yeah, that's I a- was worried about death in general. Like, I would think about that. By the way, Here Comes the Boom is a 42% on Rotten Tomatoes. That was remarkably accurate. <laughs> that was. You have the eighth gift of the Holy Spirit to predict <laughs> Rotten Tomato scores. <laughs> we, I think it was, I remember not like that worried about it, but it was definitely like, oh, are the computers going to glitch because the zeros are wrong and... We'll wake up and like the bank statements or I don't know, the grids know. a little wonky. Yeah, I know. You were just worried about your stocks back. <laughs> You're 11. Yeah, from 1999 to 2001, I was legitimately anxious all of it. I've been anxious my whole life, but for different reasons. This was the first, the first reason, reason ever. I was anxious. Yeah. I remember I was watching the show on the History Channel, and it was April of 1999 at my grandma and grandpa Tinoco's, and they did one of these like really well-produced things of why Nostradamus predicted the world would end on this particular day, and in this episode, they came up with July something or another, 1999 at noon. But the thing was, I couldn't remember what day it was. So throughout all of July, (laughs) until the last day, I remember we were working on our chicken coop at home with my dad. And every day I thought this this could be I'm picturing you on July 31st, just like, screw it. Not brushing my teeth. Like, I don't need to do that. It's the last day, man. Forget the chicken coop. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, it was so terrifying, that, that episode. But... What did they say about the end of the world in the film Armageddon? All right, so let's jump in. Um, should, we, should, I, should we have an excerpt from the speech? Yeah. A, a, an excerpt from where exactly in the film? And remember, this is the sci-fi. Oh, yeah, speech. yeah. Okay, so we should introduce that. So so the first... Jen forgot to say that. She should have <laughs> It was James's fault. Uh, so first episode <laughs> of the sci-fi speech series. Um, we're going to Armageddon. Um, so I, I believe the speech, uh, I don't know, would you guys say halfway through, maybe like start of the last third, they're about to take off into space to save the world. Um, yeah, I think that's, a, that's yeah, enough. Probably so right at half. To, yeah. So president likes to give a speech here. Um, and we'll have to talk about how good the trailer was and how good they did with the music. But, um, so we'll start with this one. I address you tonight, not as the President of the United States, 
not as the leader of a country, but as a citizen of humanity. We are faced with the very gravest of challenges. The Bible calls this day Armageddon, the end of all things. And yet, for the first time in the history of the planet, a species has the technology to prevent its own extinction. All of you praying with us need to know that everything that can be done to prevent this disaster is being called into service. The human thirst for excellence, the knowledge, every step up the ladder of science, every adventurous reach into space, all of our combined modern technologies and imaginations, even the wars that we fought have provided us the tools to wage this terrible battle. Through all the chaos that is our history, through all of the wrongs and the discord, through all of the pain and suffering, through all of our times, there is one thing that has nourished our souls and elevated our species above its origins, and that is our courage. Dreams of an entire planet are focused tonight on those 14 brave souls traveling into the heavens. That man's not a salesman. That's your daddy. And may we all, citizens the world over, see these events through. Godspeed and good luck to you. So, obviously, pretty great speech. President's not a huge character in the movie. Um, but the trailer was awesome with the music and stuff, and it was um, set the scene well. So, yeah. Yeah, the president does sort of suck. He's like, explode the nuclear bomb before they <laughs> even drill the hole. <laughs> he is a, yeah, he, he drives the plot later in the movie, I guess, then, huh? Yeah, I guess a little bit. It's interesting. I don't know. I always thought, like, I guess it makes sense, but, like, it was just a president's call. Like, I don't know. I guess like I don't know who's I don't know whose call but, it would be. I mean, I disagree. That yeah. makes a good president believes in putting his trust in the experts in that field. And obviously Billy Bob Thornton's <laughs> character was the expert in that field. And he's like, No, don't just blow it up in the space shuttle. Yes. What what would you get? What do you guys think? You know, if you were the president in that role, like, would you have just, you know, you're about to lose ability to explode the bomb or and take your chances, or you uh, put it all all in their hands? I feel like in that field, because there's literally no um, extraneous factors that like you kind of have to just leave it up to them. You know, like mm-hmm. something like COVID, like there are things that aren't purely uh, medically related that like are going to be impacted. Right. So like maybe the pleasant has a little bit more leeway to like either push back or whatever. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. But like, this is all or nothing. Like, okay, either we all die yeah. <laughs> or not. Like this is a one discreet decision. Like, heck yeah, I'm going to leave it up to Billy Bob Thornton. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe there's something here, but it's interesting. Like at least he he talks about speech. Like he kind of, 
I don't know if maybe the maybe this is reach, reaching too far, too deep into the movie, but like the speech he says, uh, the species has it. We kind of talked about that in the outline. Um, so then it's like, but at the same time, it's like, well, we're asking. I mean, kind of the funny paradox of the movie, obviously, but it's like, you know, all these years and all this history and technology, so we can save ourselves, and yet, like, the best we got is. You know, Billy Bob, you're asking me to trust 12 oil drillers. You know what I mean? I don't know. Like, it's kind of at odds with, uh, I don't know, those seem to be kind of conflicting. Yeah. Yeah, that is sort of an interesting way to express it. Yeah, I was reading a different article that sort of got to the same point that it is, the film is sort of like a celebration of the blue-collar worker, that there is something that's, romantic about the idea that the fate of the world is in the hands of blue collar workers who you know really get at the core of life and in a particularly important way right because it's like the non-blue collar worker the astronauts like (laughs) as ridiculous as it is in certain ways like we're portrayed as like the obstacle to things getting done colonel sharp wanted to just blow up the bomb as well on on the surface there and um you know which yeah i read one thing oh go mm. ahead i go never ahead. heard that read on that movie that's uh no that's interesting i kind of like that because it wasn't i was just gonna say because it wasn't even like um if it was presented as a comedy, like, oh, this group of oil drillers goes into space, you know, but it was like very serious about it, you know, which is like, yeah. I could see that, you know, trying to go the comedy route. Like on one hand, it's definitely kind of presented as funny, right? These oil workers and they're, you know, cowboys and all this stuff, but like kind of like you said, but at the same time, there's also kind of an appeal to like the blue collar worker. So, um, I don't know, I guess there's a little bit of sense of like, huh, like is it's them obviously but i don't know i just who watches the movie i feel like might get a different take on like how positive of a feel they would have about the oil drillers um because i don't know i saw one thing it was a quote i think it was ben affleck and he said that you know he asked i don't know if it's the director the producer or somebody like instead of training oil drillers to be astronauts wouldn't have just been easier to train astronauts to be oil drillers and According to him, the person looked at him and said, like, shut the F up or something. But I don't know. Like, part of me was wondering, like, I don't, what, do you guys think it would be that? I guess I don't know anything about being an astronaut or an oil driller. <laughs> yeah, just for clarity, I believe that was Michael Bay or Jerry Bruckheimer who said that to Ben Affleck. <laughs> <laughs> and that was, that was in the DVD commentary that interview is, which is hilarious. You can, you can hear that. But, no, I mean, I'd agree. It's like, you know, of course it has to be easier to train astronauts to drill a hole than (laughs) train oil And number two point, you know, it's like whatever conditions govern effective oil drilling on Earth are not the same as an asteroid. (laughs) But did you see all the, I mean, the experience came in. He was up there. He could feel the steel against the the cyber rock and he just knew that cyber rock like the drill wasn't going to cut it i mean clearly the experience kicked in 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I suppose, yeah. <laughs> I have a, so when I first um, saw we were doing this, I kind of wondered the timeline of Armageddon. In my head, I was like, oh, that was probably like 2002 after 9-11. Um, but no, I think is our hypothesis that it was kind of like, more 1998 leading up to like the end of the century and perhaps like the start of the Y2K end of the world stuff. Yeah. 1998. It came out. Um, so I'll reference some other movies a little later, but I, so I was also interested to see that apocalyptic films is, is a central, essentially a genre. Um, and I think looking at basically the evolution of that genre over the last century and i'll just do a quick by the numbers snapshot pre-1950 four movies fell into that genre the 50s the 50s had nine movies the 60s had about 20 70s probably 30 or 40 80s 50 the 90s had 50 or 60 and then we get to 2000 to 2009, like 75. And then 2010 to 2019, it looks like probably 110. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. And then That's really we're two years into it and probably looks like a dozen so far. Um, but yeah, growing at least a dozen more every decade and like it really exploded 2010 to 2019 interesting so obviously no one likes the practical idea of the world ending but why do you guys think that people are so attracted to watching movies about it and stories that matter obviously the left behind uh christian uh literature series was very popular in the uh i did reference that too i wondered if that might have gotten out um after 9 11 but the first movie was february of 2000 so even after the clocks ticked over into the new century millennium um it first came out post post apocalypse i guess Did any of you guys read any of the Left Behind series that brought back Kurt Cameron's <laughs> Growing Pain's career? No. <laughs> I think I did watch the first movie. I don't know if I read a book. Um, yeah, I didn't I didn't really get into it. Um, but I think it was extremely popular and is probably the predominant somewhat interpretation of like revelation um yeah i don't know if i want to get we want to get into it this early but the you know because obviously the left behind series illustrates and articulates you know the the protestant conception of the end of the world right and what that looks like in terms of rapture most specifically um which is in distinction from like the Catholic, you, uh, Ross and Matt can correct me on this, but the Catholic conception of uh, the end of the world, which I believe does not include rapture. Is that I, correct? Probably not. 
Yeah, I don't think so. I, I've never yeah. heard that. You said it's too early for it, but you just pretty much asked the question, so. <laughs> Let's just roll. We got, we got things going here. So <laughs> Go for it. We're not. Let's just do it. I know, because that's where we're going. Scared. Landon, can you talk a little bit about the Protestant conception of the end of the world in terms of, like, the rapture and maybe how you how you um, consumed or absorbed that growing up, like what it looked like, how you felt about, um, you know, taking on and thinking about and believing that that particular idea. And maybe the Catholics can talk about the other. Yeah, I would say I, I wouldn't have gotten anything on the rapture or much of a study in Revelation too deep in my Lutheran upbringing. Um, I think some fascinations with it in early reading, maybe some YouTube videos in my 20s, it would have at least gotten me informed on the perspective. I think there's a there's several different, very specific timeline interpretations of Revelation to where like there's a millennial and the rapture occurs and at that point, the Antichrist and uh, who is there's the Antichrist and then the Beast who ushers it in, kind of like a reverse John the Baptist Jesus situation in demonic form. Um, and then, like, seven years of that, and then Christ returns and does another thousand years and then shuts the door. There's some, some interpretations that like have a very specific timeline to them. Um, that yeah, I'm, I couldn't, it'd be hard to like point to which people, um, or which denominations or which types of perhaps evangelicals specifically believe what timelines. Um, I think I, I listened to a sermon series by Matt Chandler. I think it's on all the podcast networks. Um, he's a he's got a ch- church in Dallas, Texas, um, and has done a pretty good job at probably my his yeah his preaching and interpretation of, of Revelation. You know, it's seven very visual pictures and stories that appeared to John, who was the author of Revelation, just very much describing like. Um, kind of the themes of Jesus's life and what heaven and earth being reunited will look like. And um, probably in a genre of writing that is, I think it has a specific name, but just very vivid and using a lot of imagery to represent themes. Um, I also heard some commentary like, you know, some of the gospel texts, um, perhaps they, you know, didn't make Jesus look like, you know, saving the world and, um, just how dramatic that is for God to be man. And so the text of revelation kind of really paints a much different picture, um, a much more vivid, almost superhero like picture, um, than some of the gospels portrayed. And they added that in to just like add weight to, um, or at least it did that type of story added a lot of weight to just how serious what's the Catholic version? I mean, on it, 
Well, go ahead, Mike. You got it. Well, I was going to say maybe just uh, a little bit more of a textured way to approach a question is so Ross and Matt, like in more so just in terms of like church life, to what extent or in what um, nature did like the theological concept of the end of the world sort of enter your consciousness? I don't know if I was. So I, I know I said earlier I wasn't anxious about the end of the world, but I do remember at like I was a very curious kid. So I know I asked my parents about it, and I don't know. My mom handled most of the religious questions in our family, so like she kind of like fluffed it over with like, "Oh, well, Jesus, you know, there's might be some scary things, but like Jesus is gonna look out for it, whatever." And I don't know. I guess that was kind of like how it first entered my consciousness is like, you know, like. Um, I guess there's something scary about it, but then, like, we don't have to worry about it because, like, you know, um, as long as you love Jesus and whatever, you know, and I guess in kid terms. Um, the, the I guess most, uh, like, in terms of a more mature understanding of it, I've, a lot of people have kind of um, poo-pooed, like, overemphasis on the end times. Um, at least in Catholic circles, or, or at least trying to interpret it in terms of world events and, like, all yeah. that stuff, just because there have been, like, I mean, we went through the bubonic plague. I'm sure there are people thought that was the end of the world, and it wasn't. You know, there have been two world wars, you know, and then the countless other wars that have been, like, you know, very devastating, you know. So, yeah, I guess I've always been kind of steered away from any sort of, like, yeah. um, interpretation of, like, modern events in relation to it. Um but then, um, I guess more recently, I know there is there is a talk I listened to by a priest named Father Chad Ripperger, um, who's talked about, um, kind of gave like the most in-depth view of the end times that I had heard recent, or really ever, um, just in regards to like what that'll look like, what to expect. Um, and he brought in like a few um, kind of like, I don't know if they're all like Marian apparitions or if they're just like other kind of saint or like kind of uh, personal revelation things that have been, um, if not like endorsed by the church, at least been like, yeah, yeah, this, there's might be some truth to this sort of thing. And like, just kind of looking for commonalities between them. Cause obviously not all of them are exactly the same, um, in terms of private revelation. So you have to be like careful about how you interpret that stuff. But, um, so he kind of gives like an overview on like what, you know, what might it be like? I guess that that would probably be the. To be honest, I can't remember a lot of details, um, other than just, um, yeah. I mean, a lot of the stuff that Landon said just about, like, yeah, there is going to be a some sort of a battle between good and evil, and good's going to win, but it's not going to always look good, at least in the front part of it. I guess the other end would be like I know Catholics often interpret Revelation in, more in relation to the Mass, um, like in Scott Hahn's The Last Supper, the Lamb's Supper is like the kind of the classic book that describes that, because um, <clears throat> there's a lot of a lot of parts of the Mass and imagery that's kind of woven in and out of the Mass that comes from Revelation. You know, the use of candles, incense, like. Um, most altars have a picture of a lamb with seven seals kind of underneath it um, that are being opened. Um, so it's, 
basically the mass is kind of like seen as a fulfillment to, of, of some degree to of the end times and like we're kind of living it now um kind of perpetually not like oh the end times haven't started yet you know it's like yeah we're, we're kind of already there and living through it so you said the that we are in the end times i think yeah. is one interpretation yeah i mean and, and that would yeah well it would be the case that like we're always in like the church has always been in the end time, so it's not really anything special or to some degree. I don't know if that's like theologically accurate. Yeah, I but. mean, I have heard that expressed before from someone legitimate that, you know, the end times began with Christ's birth, um, you know, which yep. mm-hmm. makes sense. I mean, that was only 2,000 years ago relative to the history of yeah. humanity. Yeah, I think that is what i've heard a lot theologically is like the christ did usher in like a new reality um in revelation tries to get the at that seriousness that because he came because he died um like this this is a new world um it's kind of already happened but we're not yet there that's a term um, I'm not sure which theologian, but kind of the idea, like, because of Christ, we're redeemed, but we ourselves are not yet redeemed. Um, there is, like, heaven and earth will be united and kind of become one. We don't know how, we don't know when, um, but, like, the big event, so to speak, was at the cross and revelation is trying to really put a fine point on just how world changing that was so i'm sort of like uh you know thinking through this as we go um you know like the significance i guess i guess you would say like the existential significance of the concept of the end of the world in contrast with the particular idea that your life will end at some point and like what the difference between the two and why both should have certain value so obviously the opposite of the end of the world is the beginning of the world slash beginning of humanity you know to whatever extent the gap is between those two things but when we think about the beginning of the world slash humanity, you know, especially I'm thinking about when we read, I don't often go to the Easter Vigil Mass because the Mass is like nine hours long, but I love the, I love the idea that there's the eight or nine readings that in a relatively synthesized way bring together the whole story of salvation history. And I love thinking to myself, you know, and thinking about, you know, how the story of original sin and Adam and Eve is read there. And you do, you do feel in a very profound way a part of something bigger than yourself when you when you recognize your participation in a sense in that story, right? And you recognize that because it's 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 witnessed to in the book of Genesis. And then, of course, you have your own particular entry into that story in 1988 or 89. 
and in this you know the obviously analogies to those particular points is your own death and also the end of the world as a whole and I don't know if there's necessarily like any other sort of like gotcha points to that but just sort of like recognizing it like the the poetic balance of, of both of those both of those ideas um may, maybe it would be this is that if there were no actual end of the world we could delude ourselves into thinking that well okay if we could just figure out the cure for mortality we could actually live forever but we know that there actually is no objective way to escape that um that you know, even if you fear I would live forever, you will die when the universe collapses in on itself in 50 billion years or whatever. Or the, the, the sun shrinks and Bruce Willis isn't there to save us. Maybe we'll just shoot a nuke at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think something <clears throat> maybe we can like tie back to the movie a little bit. So I don't know, like, I guess I had never, I don't want to say I've never thought about it, but I've never had a super draw to the idea of, like, oh, let's go read about the end of the world. Um, I've thought about, like, death a lot and my own death, but as far as kind of the end of the world as such, like, no, the actual, like, the end of all things, I just never have really given um, a ton of thought to that. Um, I know it is interesting, which I guess maybe it talks, maybe it's somewhat like the depth of it, but like how, I guess I'll say different people, different denominations, different groups, whatever you want to say, like take mm-hmm. different interpretations of like Revelation. Because um, cause kind of like Matt said, like, because I'd read that book, um, The Land Supper, and it like it kind of kind of presents it that like, yeah, like John had a vision of heaven, so he wrote it down. And um like so like they'll say like the mass i think i don't know if i've heard this there somewhere else like the idea like the mass is heaven on earth because like that's the closest Mm -hmm. you can actually get to experiencing heaven while on the earth until you die um but i don't know so i just i never had like a huge draw to that question um i've just always assumed my own death will come before but i guess like kind of for a little mind game it's like i guess kind of trying to broach the idea of um well, what if it happens, you know, what if there is an event such as Armageddon or insert whatever disaster or idea you want to, like how you would respond to that. Um, and I don't know, I guess it's just kind of an interesting thought experiment, on like what you would actually do if that was happening. Um, yeah, I mean, and Jesus does tell us to be ready. You know, he doesn't say ignore the question because Scott Hahn wrote this cool book. <laughs> you know like as much like as much as i like i enjoy that book and agree with it but yeah i mean jesus does say to be ready for it um but yeah i mean i i think one kind of one way to like think about the question or one way i thought about it and maybe there's i'm sure there's more answers than this you know maybe a false dichotomy but like would you guys be active in like all right the end of the world is imminent let's try to stop it or save it or would you just be like passive and accepting like, oh, all right, I guess guess this is it. I'm just going to, you know, enjoy my last day or hours or whatever that looks like. I want to say active, but I mean, 
odds are if something's actually going to cause the end of the world, like I'm going to, I mean, like, what am I going to do? I, like, I want to say active, but it. in reality, it's like, <laughs> like, I'm going to, what? Just rehab that a rock at it? Like, I don't know. Like, I just, when you have zero chance of, you know, actually doing something, I don't know if I would. I mean, it depends how it comes. Like, if it, if it's an asteroid in a day, like, that's passive. But if it starts with, like, the electric grid going out, then it's like, all right, pack up the car. We're going to Ross's house, because I know he's got four dead deer in the freezer. And... Uh, you know, he's going to have pro <laughs> Except the electric is out, Landon. You're not thinking straight. It'll probably go out in Chicago first. That'll be you're, spoiled you're, by the time uh, you well, get there. Well, I'll help him get the deer to Free Farms. We we have a gas propane powered generator. So that's got like there's an extra 3 weeks. Maybe oh, several months all right, actually. Now we're talking. 3 weeks. Okay, now we're talking. Now we're talking. Now we get a little more gas here. Maybe Three farms. Weeks. All right. That's our rendezvous. I liked it. Matt, you said we should be ready. Um, well, Jimmy <laughs> said we should be ready, but and now our fun game. Um, <laughs> you said in one of the outline things, you know, like you would prep differently if it's like a two-week grids down versus like a, no, this is going to be like four years. My first thoughts, like anything past two weeks I'm probably not going to make it. So, like, being honest. I think on a similar note, a quote that's always struck me is, uh, I used to have my Facebook page like a thousand years ago when I first got Facebook in like 1874. And I had a quote up from someone. There must have been like some really bad storm going on somewhere on the East Coast when America was young. And apparently there were, like, all these little scaredy-cat congressmen who, like, thought the world was ending. And they, like, wanted to, you know, close whatever sort of uh, meeting they were having. And one of the gentlemen said, um, if if the world is ending... There is, if the world is not ending, then we shall proceed as usual. If the world is ending, then I should prefer that the Lord find me doing my duty than, you know, than not, yeah. you know, than running away scared in. I, I think Francis of Assisi, who people quote when they've got nothing else to say, said something similar like if you knew we were gonna die tomorrow what would you do and he said i'd plow my garden or something like that um yeah there's definitely yeah something something there that i think is particularly powerful when thinking about the end of one's life and the end of the world so we shouldn't prep we shouldn't prep in retreat. no i mean i i wouldn't necessarily i certainly wouldn't say that um but, but, um, but recognizing that your ordinary life does transcend, um, does transcend the immediate future, um, in a sense, I think is something to recognize alongside that Y2K cash that you, that you build up and, and whatnot. Yeah. And there's a, um, I don't know if I brought this up with, I know I've thought about this quote for like several, especially with the speeches on death. I feel like this is kind of tied in a little bit. 
but it was um gosh what the heck was it ross i know you brought it up it was in it was from the movie a hidden life mm-hmm. where it was basically mm. like um the fact that what the heck are you doing landon is that a big wad of cash <laughs> That's your Y2K stash? The Y2K stash. That money's not going to be worth anything after Y2K. It's going to be a golden bullet. Golden bullet. Good for anything. I don't know. Maybe. He, he probably has crypto like etched into golden tablets. That will... Oh, you know, it's in my closet. For whenever, whenever supercomputers are reinvented after the world ends. Yeah. The only one. I keep I keep all my uh, internet but, uh, passwords on gold tablets. Yeah, it's the safest. <laughs> the the man can't track those, Uncle Jeff, and uh, <laughs> whoever else. But anyway, so the uh, but it, it was something to the effect of like the fact that the world is not as bad as it otherwise could have been is due to people like in unmarked graves and unknown circumstances and you know something to that effect. And maybe that's kind of, you know, I, I didn't put together, like, the whole, like, blue-collar uh, celebration of, like, the movie Armageddon. But, mm-hmm. like, I think that kind of speaks to that as well, you know? Like, just oil drillers yeah. just doing their duty, man. Just, yeah, they're just living out their life the best way they know how. On an asteroid with a nuclear weapon, you know? <laughs> pretty ordinary. I think it's a pretty obvious answer, but... You know, there were obviously two teams on the shuttles, Team Harry and Team AJ. What team are you on? Harry. Team Harry. Yeah. 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 Obviously. Yeah. All right. Next, qu- next question. I mean, a- a- AJ was an idiot. <laughs> like, Harry just saw one of his friends blown off the asteroid, and AJ is like, oh, yeah, no, I, I can handle this. We're just going to punch through this. I mean, he got completely lucky. The world should have ended to te- teach him a lesson. But Harry built it. Harry built the machine. But, man. Well, we're getting too much into it. I, he didn't, yeah, that, 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 there must have been some deleted scenes because that did not really make sense. That was your point. But I did enjoy rewatch. It gave me <laughs> an excuse to watch a movie in my preparation for this, but... I also really loved um, watching them land on the asteroid, slingshotting around the moon. This is what we've been training for. Suck it up. And they put out those like little skis <laughs> on the shuttle. Like, wee! <laughs> so fun. I used to, when that movie came out, I used to shoot baskets a lot after school. 30 minutes to yeah. an hour every single day. And I'd like play these little stories in my head about either a boat sinking like the Titanic and what I would do, or space shuttles going to save the world from an asteroid. And um, yeah, so I would you know play with these little things in my head, and you know. I feel you there. Something about solo time on a basketball court in childhood. Just mm-hmm. so many thoughts like that. Yeah, time um, to think. definitely. Oh, yeah, that yeah. mowing the lawn. Yeah, like yep. Um, yeah, probably. <laughs> Those are those are sacred, sacred spaces on this mm. earth. Um, For sure, in our, our lives. Um, okay, who, who? Well, hold on, hold on. Who, who are you guys a hero to on that basketball court back in the late nineties and early noughts? Aughts. Early aughts. 
Who were we a hero to? Like, who did who we envision ourselves? Like, in what in, circumstances yeah, 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 did we yeah. envision ourselves saving yeah, us? Yeah. Mine was always, like, war. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like war movies I was always, like, drawn into. Um, like, I mean, I guess any, insert any cool movie, like Armageddon or whatever. But, like, I feel like that was, like, what I would want to, like, identify with was somehow, <clears throat> you know, being the soldier that saved the day. Yeah, I suppose I probably was more war movie. I think kind of uh, later on, I had more of a uh, like a medieval like knight type of imagery. I would, I don't know, <laughs> for some reason that was kind of more the particularities of like that vision. But yeah, no, I feel like every boy grows up with some sort of thing. But probably war as a younger kid. That's my good thought. Like <clears throat> I kind of thought about it too. Like um, the. So the end scene, where I actually first, when I was, was like, oh, I'm going to do Armageddon for the sci-fi speech series, like, I was thinking of, like, Harry talking to AJ at the end. That's the first thing that came to my mind. Well, how annoyed I was. The whole Harry talking to his daughter scene still bugs me, but I was, I liked the Harry talking to AJ scene when he, like, pushes him back into the shit. Make sure Truman gets Um, it! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um... And he's just, like, so cool and collected. He's, like, as AJ's just, like, bawling his eyes out, he's just, like, I've always thought I've used the sun. Done. Like, just so calm. But, um, mm-hmm. like, that's such an obvious, like, right? Just this idea of, um, like, the sacrificing yourself to save the world. So, like, it seems to be, like, kind of obvious, not, like, maybe, like, an intentional reference, but, like, the Jesus, like, Jesus dying on the cross to save humanity, Harry sacrifices himself to save humanity and we could probably name a bunch of other movies that use that i don't know if motif is the right word or not but that idea right and kind of like you said like i feel like we all kind of picture ourselves or maybe maybe as kids maybe still as adults i probably do i do i actually but like the idea like insert yourself you know in your thoughts like that's like an attractive idea it seems like we can all see it and like in a way see ourselves wanting to see ourselves do it um be willing to you know step up and sacrifice yourself but as the complete opposite to everything i just said when they draw straws in the movie um and maybe this didn't strike anybody else but like multiple people like volunteer for it and i just i i have had i've had the thought like if i was in that situation i would just be sitting there being like please don't be the short straw and I don't know if you I don't know if you guys have similar thoughts on that or not, but I feel like so when you like I don't know how I would actually handle those situations. I think that would just be I have no idea. Well, it definitely is. It really is a really powerful scene because it's like everything up to that point is like, well, you got a chance, you know, you're you should be okay landing on the asteroid. You should be okay drilling that you know hole. But when you draw straws, it's like, it's guaranteed someone's going to get the short straw. And the idea that everyone else gets to survive, you know, at least for another 10, 40, 50, 80 years. But you are going to die right there in this explosive radiation blast. Man, that's, that's heavy. Gosh, there's... Man, yeah. So, no, I, I feel you. Yeah, the short straw scene is definitely a, a significant scene. Um, 
maybe maybe Michael Bay would have been better off, yeah, where guys weren't volunteering for it. You know, it's maybe a little like, bit. Like, we know I was, like, most volunteer, and they're like, let's just draw us. I feel like I'd be like, no, dude, they volunteered. <laughs> Why am I drawing a straw? Three guys just said they'd do it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't yeah i mean i could i mean especially now having a child like i would for sure be like hoping i don't get the short straw but like i could i don't know i mean i don't know if it's completely unrealistic that people would volunteer you know when they've been through this yeah like intense thing together like they've grown closer to get like they've suffered together that brings like unity and uh i, I mean if you're going to freaking drill a hole on an asteroid with a nuke in space i feel like there's got to be part of you that's probably like all right death is a real possible you know like they kind of have reckoned with that to yeah. some degree like what am i going to go back to earth and do that's ever going to like top yeah this? <laughs> like <laughs> Yeah, I, I feel. Yeah, I guess to me it seems realistic that people might volunteer under those circumstances. Yeah. But well, I feel like, yeah, like I, mean, I, I don't, I don't know, like I would have a hard time. People I really look up to, like my, I don't know, my parents, my brother, my brother-in-law, my sister, even. Like I feel like I could see all of them volunteering, and I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so maybe I'm just kind of a coward that I would question my own courage in that moment. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Well, in in fairness to yourself, um, I mean, I think the person who thanks, quest- Mike. Somebody had to say it. <laughs> who questions it is probably most likely to do the right thing. I remember listening to a um, um, the other podcast you rarely listen to, less than the Speech Guys, the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Um, you know, I remember something that's really striking. I'm very fascinated how this is going to tie was in. Was that? <laughs> was that they said, you know, because what happened at Mars Hill is sort of, you know, some people say it was a cult, some people wouldn't. But the people who say, oh, how could you ever join a cult like Mars Hill, maybe, sort of, or Heaven's Gate or what, or uh, Manson, whatever, the people who say that are the ones who end up being in a cult. In the same way, like, even, or even, like, looking at the Nazis, like, oh, how could the Nazis have done that? I would have never done that sort of thing. Well, the reality is in all of those situations, those were, for the most part, normal people who maybe, I guess, one might say lacked the conscientiousness and self-awareness to to prevent themselves from yeah. from spilling over into mm-hmm. something like that. Um, yeah. The Heaven's Gate reference, I was what, listening to another podcast, the Unexplained Mysteries podcast today, and it was a four-part series on Heaven's Gate, so... Guys, remember that Heaven's Gate pod or Heaven's Gate series? Uh, just really briefly, just so you can look up later. Heaven's Gate: twenty-five people, I think, took their own lives as part of a mass suicide for this mm-hmm. uh, religion. Yeah, pretty wild. Look it up. Have any of you seen Don't Look Up? I've heard about that. Someone was telling us about it's. Uh, I mean, it sounds like just in the wake of things, like this seems to be a like a COVID. Um, almost like a COVID hit piece 
is kind of what I at least that's how the person described it. Um, you could say COVID, I or I think they actually wrote it more for like climate change. Um, but you could like sub sure. in any like the world is in any genre of fear to their situation. Sure. But I, I, yeah, if no one's seen it, I won't dwell on it. Other than to say, like, seeing some of these Armageddon scenes, like, 1998 was to Armageddon, was to, like, the West Wing, as 2021 is to Don't Look Up, is to, like, House of Cards. Just, like, the way the movie was, like, directed, and just, like, how, like, this is Don't Look Up, like, how loud it was and I don't know, kind of obnoxious at times as like an end of the world, the asteroids hmm. coming super sarcastic, just like, um, versus like how Armageddon was directed and like, just, I don't know, hmm. idyllic and like pulls at your heartstrings and like someone is going to sacrifice to save the world. Like we've, I don't know. The difference yeah, is like no, that's a that's um, an interesting. It's just weird to to see how we think about and portray and talk about the topic over the last twenty five years, because um, they're essentially yeah. they're the same movie. Like the plot is very similar. Like scientists discover it. Let's call in the experts. Hmm. What do we do? Um, <clears throat> and there's like. Yeah, um, I don't know. Less coming together, less like feel good moments, and don't look up. It's all just like for a cheap laugh. Versus like, wow, that was a great speech the president gave. What about this scene? He like really sacrificed like his life, and it was kind of melodramatic anyway. Hmm. What What's the vibe of Don't Look? Is it supposed to be like a funny? like satire comedy type yeah. of thing or is it supposed to be like a dramatic no it is it is a sad state it's of a i call it like a dark comedy um adam mckay the guy who directed the big short and um vice about dick cheney um maybe a little bit of a pivot here so with well, one thing you mentioned earlier, Landon, there are all those like the decades of different um, like apocalyptic movies. One thing I would be curious about is like if there was a theme in each decade as to what the what brings mm. about the apocalypse. You know, is it a disease? Is it nuclear? Is it an asteroid? Is it um, just a human calamity of some sort? You know, like is it technology itself? And that's like, I guess one thing I was thinking about when, cause especially in the speech, he outlines like how all the wars, all the strife, all these different things bring about, have like kind of prepared us to like develop the technology and develop all this stuff. And we have the technology to save our, uh, you're the only species to have the technology to save ourselves from extinction. Um, where technology is like the savior but there's also like apocalyptic movies where technology is like what brings us, like what tears us down, you know, like iRobot or Terminator, like those types of things. So I just think it's an interesting, like, I don't know, like, 
I know the whole theme of the movie isn't like, oh, yay, technology. I know there's a lot more to it. Um, but it's interesting how, like, just technology kind of cuts both ways in terms mm-hmm. of, like, apocalyptic literature, you know. Tech. A, I don't know. Just an interesting thing to think about. Because, like, there's a balance, you know. Like, yeah, I guess a balance between technology saving Yeah, I would say technology us. is definitely a theme in many of them. Um as either the thing that saved them or the thing that brought them down. Um, so uh, I was sort of struck just sort of uh, perusing through our notes here. Um, Matt's section, Marian apparitions and the end times, and a reference to marriage and the family would be the final battle. And I clicked the link that you had there. Um this is from CNA, Catholic News Agency. Got some good stuff. Um, yeah, without reading into it, I don't know, just thinking about like that idea, there is something, again, that's yeah, sort of poetic about that. That, you know, I've, one, one can argue that, that society, as we recognize it, for all of its various good things, exists as it is because... Because we trusted in marriages, in the productiveness of marriages and families, right? That 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 is just in a very practical way, sort of like the pillar of society, and you know all the various ways that we direct our attention and energies outside of that are all good and well, so long as we don't lose sight of that certain core thing. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's just interesting to think of it that way. That in the same way that marriage and family gave rise to the thing, the very things that like make us human, that it is poetic that that is the thing that will challenge us to sort of endure in the end. I had never heard of that perspective before. Um it sounds like it's simpler than like an at, I don't know, not simpler, but it's like, oh, the apocalypse, like it's going to come externally. Um, but yeah, it could, I think it referenced like, you know, page one of Genesis is just about the relationship between man and woman and God and yeah, maybe the last page is like the deterioration of that relationship. I mean, I think that just sort of like reading through the headline, just think thinking it through, it, you know, obviously you can like read that and get like all anxious and be like, oh, oh, oh gosh, the world is ending. You know, blah, blah, blah. But I mean, I don't know. I think a more mature reading of it is that, yeah, I mean, that just sort of reminds us that the most the most real thing you know is really living on that edge and and giving yourself to to another person and then the sort of chaos that life offers and remaining remaining faithful and and generous towards them any other great end of the world films that you guys uh go back to every so often Ooh, or good remember? question i was surprised was it you mike that said you thought deep impact was a better movie I don't think I said that, but I believe it is more critically acclaimed. 
That, that's what I might have said. And it was more realistic. Oh, actually, fun aside, I'm glad this fits in. <laughs> Actual ways to divert an asteroid if it's heading towards Earth. Apparently, the dropping the bomb in the asteroid was not very feasible. Um, based upon how they... So, the asteroid in the film is, I think, the size of Texas. The one that killed the dinosaurs was only six miles. So, it's... They said the asteroid in the film was the size I'm of Texas? sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, based upon that, and what they describe with respect to the asteroid's density, speed, distance, some uh, very noble postgraduate students. <laughs> um, in order to achieve the goal the film was aiming, which was to split the asteroid <laughs> in two, <clears throat> it would require 800 trillion <laughs> ter- terajoules of energy. So... Um, which would be a billion times stronger than the biggest atomic bomb ever exploded on Earth. <laughs> All right. Of course, he had to get that up into space first. Um, so, some more realistic strategies, other than getting Morgan Freeman in as your president. Um, but basically, all the strategies were about like getting. Knowing it's coming well in advance, like many years, and just nudging it off course um, with various techniques. And the one that was most wild was painting it white. I don't know if you guys saw that. Painting it white would obviously change its the capacity to with it which it absorbed heat and moved in that particular way and that could if you got had enough time that could be enough what to get kind it of paint to sticks to off. asteroids like <laughs> yeah. if you don't prime your walls paint won't stick very well like how are you painting a freaking asteroid <laughs> um oh yeah but yeah, the idea of breaking it in pieces was just not not considered a uh, good idea. This actually changed significantly after the film, along with Deep Impact, that NASA be, apparently began investing more in like asteroid research, and apparently they do now know. According to this, let's see. Um, Back in 1998, Congress tasked NASA with, right after all the people in Congress saw Armageddon, Congress, <laughs> Congress tasked NASA with identifying killer asteroids and expanded their demands in 2005. As it stands, by 2020, NASA is supposed to have identified 90% of asteroids 450 feet or larger. And they're making good progress on that. I did read in the comments which were pretty funny one was that it was like just the most cynical person in the world is like oh yeah well what about the comets that are like super duper long and narrow those are the ones that are gonna get us so that that answers the question life does mimic art and not the other way around uh in the don't look up movie the asteroid was labeled as a planet killer at just four or five miles wide. Like, oh, that's a big one. 
Um, and so I, I thought about that. I was like, well, wouldn't, like, if it landed in the ocean, wouldn't it just, like, be a big tsunami? Like, why four to five miles? Like, that could disappear in the Pacific. That's not that big. Um, but, like, the average depth of the ocean is only two and a half miles, which in that context seems like really shallow. Um, yeah, it's, it's like 12, 15,000 feet, but it's only a couple miles. And like, if, yeah, a small little, you know, asteroid twice the size of Iliopolis, three time, I don't, whatever. Um, it would like penetrate earth a couple miles and that would be probably pretty devastating. It's kind of funny. Cause we kind of sort of joked a little bit ago, not joked, but, we didn't really go into much like could we kind of this idea of oh yeah like the you know in 1998 the movie was all coming together and you know Bruce Willis sacrifices himself and then 2020 is not obviously that idealistic we'll say and I think Matt kind of put in the outline or somebody did like kind of this idea of would we really come together like in the event of an apocalyptic event and it's like well you got Landon here that's like NASA is like, it's going to kill us all. He's like, it's only four miles. But you're in the Pacific. I'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, do you think that if, if, if something like this were to happen, do you think that if NASA said, yeah, like we're done, if this hits us, would everyone believe them and just be all in? Or would there be a ton of just like, yeah, you're wrong, NASA. We're fine. Man, that, that's, that's the premise of the Don't Look Up movie. That's a really good question. Yeah, I mean, just to riff on that a little bit, like I remember the very start of COVID thinking to myself, because obviously right when it started, like it was not politicized at all. I, was, I thought to myself, like, they're going to find some way. They're going to find some way to politicize this. And of course, of course, people did. Um yeah, so, of course, in the same way as, as Lynn's apparently indicated the film, it's like, yeah, people will find a way. The asteroid's only four miles wide. We're going we're gonna to get new land in the ocean. That's, we need to start developing that. You are literally doing the plot. Like, they, yeah, they decide, like, they're like, all right, let's Armageddon it, send the nukes, and then... They re- I think they realized that like it's full of like trillions of dollars of valuable minerals. And so they're like, yeah. well, let's just steer it down softly in the Pacific and then we'll all divide <laughs> it up and then that goes wrong and something else. Um, um, huh. But I again, man, going, I don't man, maybe I can't I'm, wait to watch that film this weekend. That's I think good. now it was politicized, but if it would have happened in 1998, it would have would not have been. And I think that's the difference, the contrast I was trying to make. Yeah, you're right, right, right. Yeah, huh. Just for reference, Don't Look Up got a 55% on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, it is, that really? is Somehow that was uh, better than atrocious. Armageddon. <laughs> well, you said Armageddon was 38%? What do you mean? That, like, that's, way, that's not a good number. I mean, those should at least be flipped. I guess that's what Mike said. I think, yeah, Armageddon was thirty-eight. Audience score was seventy-three. I think Don't Look Up had a slightly higher audience score too, which is weird. Yeah, Don't Look Up was seventy-eight. Yeah, it was the just the very last scene, the last line that Leo said 
in Don't Look Up was like a very small like tip of the cap to something more deeper and sentimental. But it was just like one line. Fun, this question. What, what would Elon Musk do, Landon, in this situation? Uh, he would buy 9.2% of Twitter in this situation. He did that yesterday, if you didn't realize. I mean, he. I think that, that could be a difference between 1998 and 2022, is if this was real, I... I think Elon would just be solely in charge. Instead of the president, we would have Elon Musk. (laughs) Because, like, NASA can't scramble a rocket tomorrow. Elon's got, like, 10 (laughs) himself. Like, he doesn't need permission to, like... Maybe he just, like, saw this 25 years ago and got kind of freaked out. And he is actually prepping for it, like we said earlier. Yeah. When you're worth a half a trill, you can prep in different ways. He's the only one with enough money to prep. I feel like we're we're nearing the end. Does anybody have any closing thoughts? Where does the word Armageddon come from? Yeah, actually, I did look that up. No, it was like apocalypse. It was I found maybe they're related. It was like an un. It's like a revealing. Somebody Google it just to check. No, I'm me, just gonna trust Mike. Maybe that's just maybe that's just any other apocalypse. guesses. I'm pretty sure it's a valley in Israel that is like a perfect valley for a battle. Um and it it is referenced in Revelation as like the final battle between everybody versus evil. Um and it's kinda like the perfect geographical battleground i think mountains on both sides a huge flat space in the middle so etymologyonline.com says cataclysmic final conflict i guess fact check me if it's a real valley maybe it's not oh he yeah um from hebrew har megiddon or mount of megiddo a city in central palestine a site of important israelite battles it's where they beat the Hittites. <laughs> what about the Hittites? Hittites. Oh, good. My mom loved that. <laughs> what about them? <laughs> all right, we could, go, I still <laughs> we could go, go all Mayan 2020 prophecy, but I think it might be better to look ahead. So, Mike, um, where are we going? Wait. Are we the, Are we calling the end of the world? Is that what we're doing? Guessing the last year? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Yeah, Mayans are wrong. We already passed 2020. We're probably right. Um, if you were if you were forced to belong to a cult, which one would it be? I think I'd rather pick the end of the world. Yeah, let's pick the end of the world. 2042 seems about right. I don't know. No, maybe. How do you want? If you have to choose, how? Do I you mean, want I would want something what that kind doesn't. Of question is that terrify you? Well, we don't have any other so... question yet. That's <laughs> a fun question. <laughs> yes. I don't know, like Uni- unicorns come. Like that would just be a scary. Like, say, right, the Armageddon movie, zero barrier. There's seconds to spare, and like all of a sudden, it doesn't explode in the sky. It's like I just kind of suck. I mean, you just know 
it's coming in like what was it, like a day away or something. I don't know, three hours. I don't know. It was seconds away. Harry exploded. No, but right, but if he hadn't done it, if the clicker thing, he would have dropped it. Oh, like I had the impression it was gonna be like twelve minutes. Oh, really? I thought it was like three hours away. <laughs> Either way, it would not have been an enjoyable Maybe twelve minutes or three hours. Honestly, I'd be okay with seeing it come in. I don't know. I think or that three might hours. be like, all right, like 12 minutes or whatever it is. In 12 minutes? You know, like, all right, just get to, you know, you get to do your last <laughs> last thing with your family and <laughs> just, you know. Like, right. I mean, it's not like a last adventure. It's not like you're going to Disney World, but just, you know, like, all right, you say your prayers and you hug each other and you, you know, hold each other tight and. Well, it's like, it. isn't it a isn't it a scene in the movie Titanic when she like puts the kids to sleep or something? I mean, that would be hard with kids yeah. to deal with that. Um, I mean, I probably would not tell my kids it was coming. I don't think. No, I definitely would not. Mine are very little kids, but no, you're you're ab- you're absolutely right. Yeah, that's a kind of good thought to sort of float around on for our last thought. It's. You know, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to build myself up too much. I mean, I think we're on a similar boat, but it's like, man, yeah, it'd be scary as crap to know that the world was going to end in 12 minutes or three hours. But you you could sort of, like, chew through it, I feel like, you know, through a little bit of prayer, a little bit of contemplation. But I imagine, like, talking through it if I were in a physical position with my nieces or nephews. Like, I, you know, just what what child is mature enough to be able to consume that information in a way that's not going to just terrify <laughs> the shit out of them for their last 12 minutes to three hours of, of their life, you know? I feel like I would probably, like, it reminds me a little bit, I don't know if we want to keep going on this or not, because we were going to close it five minutes ago, but, like... Well, no, this, this is, this is a good like, closing yeah. thought. Yeah. yeah. Like... My son gets scared sometimes at nighttime when I put him to bed. So, like, I always – I try to talk to him about, like, thinking something he, that happy. So, like, if you're – when he's scared, I don't – like, before he falls asleep, you know, I'll say, you know, close your eyes and picture, you know, Nene and Pop or the Moffats and, like, just kind of imagine the last time you saw them just to try to, like, put him in a better, like, mindset. So – I don't know. Like my first thought is yes, like you said, as an adult, I would handle it one way, you know, probably with prayer and, but maybe, I don't know, also just like recalling good memories and stuff, but yeah, just how you would handle kids would be very hard. I mean, my kids are little, so I would definitely take that approach, but it would also be hard if you have like a 12 year old or a six, even like a 15 year old, just somebody that's like, could understand what's happening, but also like, wouldn't be able to handle like an adult either isn't the apocalyptic genre at least meant to get us contemplating how short life is and how precious time is you guys think anybody else in the world right now is doing this exact same thing (laughs) (laughs) think anyone else in the world is podcasting about the end of the world i hope now i hope so no I hope so. Otherwise, what the hell are we trying to save? (laughs) I don't know why we're doing it. So it's really funny. My wife hates that song. I don't know why, but she hates it.
So immediately when I told her we were doing Armageddon, she was like, I don't know. She just did not like that. Don't want to close my eyes. I love that song. Don't want to... I used to like it back I, in the day. I think we should have just ended it there with Mike singing Don't Want to Close My Eyes and just like just like cut it right there. <laughs> oh yeah. Hard stop. Well I like it. With with a magic editing we can, but what do we got going on next episode? I don't know, Mike. Why don't you tell us? Because you're hosting. 1.21 gigawatts! That's impossible! The only way you can get that kind of energy is from a bolt of lightning! The only problem is you don't know when or where a bolt of lightning will strike! We do now. Marty holds the flyer up in front of Doc Brown's face. That's not the speech we're going to do. But that is from that film series. Back to the Future. I think we're, I'm, I'm looking at Back to the Future Part 3. Whoa. So, ladies and gentlemen, you got plenty of time. One Back to the Future film per week before then in order to kind of brush up on your Marty Doc lingo yes. there. Classic, classic American film. But, yeah, I'm excited about it. Let's do it. To a better place. Oh, Ross, do you want to tell Matt a few bits about our camping trip? Yeah, I'll give you the quick rundown. Um, I don't know if you read my Excel spreadsheet edition. Um, <laughs> I did not read that. Mike picked me up like normal. It was a pretty nice drive to get up to Ottawa. Got lunch. It was solid. Right now we're just doing well. And then we get to Buffalo Rock. And um, how do I... Depressing, I think, is probably the best word. Just to set the scene... Buffalo Rock State Park. I'm just going to set the scene, Matt. It's about 38 degrees, cloudy and gray with like a slight drizzle, but a wind. So it's pretty chilly. We arrive to Buffalo Rock, and just as we pull in, it just, it wasn't as poorly, probably, and it was pretty poorly drained. There's just water everywhere. There's what, like, used to look like, it looks like a baseball diamond fencing. Like, it's like the... Like, like a triangle-type high fence. It looks like it should be like a Little League ball field, you know? But it's just all grass, and there's just giant mole ha- mounds all over. We find the buffalo, which there's only three, and they appeared to be, like, wilting, which I don't think you should do in winter. Like, it seems like that's more of a summertime thing. They looked sick. I'm pretty sure they're all about to die. Um, and they were behind a large, like, 10-foot, just plain chain-link fence. So it kind of was like, huh, I feel like the animals at the zoo are just much happier than these three buffalo. Um, we tried to go on a hike because it turns out there's no camping at Buffalo Rock. So we go on a hike because the trail that connects the state park to Utica supposedly has sites. We probably walked for 20 minutes and didn't see any sites. Um the all the camp offices are closed 
and like they have like the glass um like on the side of the camp like cabin like the the main one they have a it's like a bulletin board type stuff but it's like behind glass like it looks like it should be like a high school trophy case you know but like mm-hmm. the papers are all sun faded one had just like fallen sure. down one was like i think literally almost 20 years old <laughs> It, tr- it tried to escape the window signage. So, me and Mike actually did. Like, I felt like there was just kind of a sense of dejection as we left to drive away to meet Landon in Ottawa. And somehow, we ended up in Utica. I actually still am not sure how that happened. And I know this sounds weird, but it really felt like a weird, like, Twilight Zone. Like, I was, I was like, between the yeah. Buffalo Rock and getting... Like, we, like, couldn't get to where we wanted to go, and I was like, what the hell is going on? There was just this eerie sense of depression in the car. And then Landon really livened things up um, when we met at the bar in Ottawa. That was nice. Yeah. And then Alina is at Park, I would say, where we decided to camp because Buffalo Rock didn't have campground. I would say slightly worse overall. Like, most of the sites were, like, actually, like, had standing water. And there was an actual homeless man camping in the very first site. If that just gives you like a sense of the. Alina <laughs> <Yeah. coughs> State Park was fine. Yeah, I mean, no, Rod, it was on the Rod, river. I mean, it was no state park. <laughs> it wasn't a state park, but no, it uh, like chat with the homeless guy at least. In terms the, of a campground, was I was nice, like, but, I liked but it. Don't picture like the river at Stive oh. Rock, Matt. Just picture a flat river yeah. where you can just see the town on the other side. <laughs> it wasn't very scenic, Landon. Pretty low on the scenic factor. All right. It was a very fun trip. It's a very fun trip, but as far as scenic factor, Buffalo Rock and Illini were pretty low. I mean, they're kind the of list. like a. Got it. Like it felt more like a city park, but like not a nice one. Yeah, <laughs> that's about so, right. Great trip though. Nice fun, fun night. Yeah. Yeah. Good chatting. Good. Good chats.